This morning from John's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish that disciple whom jesus loved said to peter it is the lord when simon peter heard that it was the lord he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea but the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land only about a hundred yards off when they had gone ashore they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of life. It was 1990 in the spring. My wife Mary was nine months pregnant. We went to the hospital and her labor began and she was in labor for several hours. Not much progress. Several more hours. Still very little progress. After 12 hours, they said, we need to give you something to move this along. They gave her some medicine. She labored several more hours. She went past the 24-hour mark, still in labor. Finally, around 
30 hours, our first child was born. Grace. It was a long labor. We were both pretty tired. And yet we were so excited that now we had this precious baby in our lives, our first child. But it was not long after that that we realized something, that now you are responsible for another human being 24-7. It was great responsibility now with a child in our lives. And then four years later, she's pregnant for the second time. Labor, luckily, was not so long, and hope was born to us. And we had two children and began to take care of them. But you know what we realized? We thought it would be about twice the work. Somehow it seemed like three or four times the work to get two ready on a Sunday morning or wherever we were going to pack up for a vacation or go for just a visit down the street. It seemed like a lot of work, and they wouldn't sleep through the night. And so we were always tired. If you remember being a new parent, it's, it's like you're always tired. You can't get enough sleep. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I don't want to say that I've done this, but sometimes in the middle of the night when that baby would start to cry again and I would hear her, I would lay really still. <laughs> I would just hope and pray that Mary hears her and decides it's her turn to get up. Exhaustion does strange things to your mind, to your behavior. Well... Children change things, change the way we see the world. It's uh, something you realize pretty soon after the kids come. Otherwise, normal situations become places of peril. Before, where the neighborhood dog would come up would be great. Now it's a source of danger. And the beautiful coffee table with the sharp corners is a place of danger. And the cabinet full of books that can fall over and crush a child, a place of danger. There's danger everywhere like you'd never seen it before. Because you're so concerned about this precious life, this baby, your child. And parents begin to think about all those things about how they can protect their children and then before long it's about time for school and you begin to begin to think how do I prepare them to go to school and to go out into the world and you begin to feel that responsibility of preparation and, and protection here in a few weeks we'll be celebrating some of these young people they're in the choir loft behind me because they're graduating from high school and I'm sure their parents are thinking have we prepared them to go out into the world? Have we given them everything they need to go out and do what they need to do in the world? In our text today, Jesus addresses his disciples as children. It's a resurrection appearance, but I think he's thinking about preparing them for their getting ready to go out into the world, so to speak, on his behalf, on behalf of the gospel, on behalf of God. And he's thinking of them as children. And have I prepared these children? Are they ready to take on the world, to take on this task? I think there's some things in this passage that can certainly help us as parents in terms of how we deal with our own children. 
but it also has much for us to think about in terms of who we are as disciples of Christ. And are we prepared to witness to the risen Christ? If we look back at the story that John is telling, it's a, it's a remarkable story. Seven of the disciples, John says, are together. They've gone to the beach or to the lake. Peter decides he wants to go fishing. They go out to fish. The others join him. They're not very successful. In verse 4, John tells us just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? And I want us to stop right there for a moment and notice the first thing Jesus does is recognize their need. He recognizes that they're fishing, they're trying to catch some fish, perhaps just to have a meal, and they've been totally unsuccessful. But he recognizes their need and verbalizes their need. They say, of course, no, they haven't caught anything. The second thing he does is suggest a more effective response, what they might do that would be more effective. In verse 6, he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. In other words, do it a different way. Some commentators talk about they've just gone back to the life of before Christ as if nothing had ever happened, that they're back at the lake fishing and that Jesus is suggesting that they not go back, that they recognize that their lives are to be different and they try it a different way. The third thing he does is feed them. Not only does he tell them how to catch fish, but he provides some for them. In verse 9, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter goes and gets some, and then Jesus says to them in verse 12, come and have breakfast. He sees the need, he verbalizes the need, he tells them how they could meet the need, but in the midst of that, he goes ahead and provides some breakfast, provides some food. He goes ahead and feeds them right on the spot. And then after they've eaten, the story moves to this conversation between Simon, Peter, and Jesus, where three times Jesus asks Simon Peter whether or not he loves him. It's the main point of the story, I think. This idea of whether or not we really love Jesus. And if we do, does that change our lives? After Jesus has asked Peter three times, and of course he says, yes, he loves him, and he says, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. The final thing Jesus does is commission Peter to go serve. If you love me, he says to Peter, then go share that love with others. If you love me, take care of the sheep and the lambs, take care of the flock, serve and care share that love with others it's a sign of growth for us as christians when we recognize that if we love jesus 
then we have this lifelong commission to be about sharing that love with others. That we have a lifelong commission, a commission that never we outgrow to serve and love others in the name of Christ. What I've observed over the years as a pastor is so many people stop growing in love. They stop serving. Oh, they may still come to church, but they begin to think, oh, I've served there, I've served there, I've served there. I'm kind of done. I'm going to retire. Well, you might retire from your career, but nowhere in the Gospels does it say after you've served for a while, just step back and don't serve or love anybody anymore. It's a lifelong calling and commission that if you love Jesus, you go about looking for ways to share that love with others. You're looking for ways to serve Him. Now, the way you do that may change over the course of a lifetime, but the idea that somehow we graduate or retire from Christian love and service is not really a part of the gospel. I've been telling you about this two-year spiritual academy that I'm participating in, where I go away for a week every quarter. This last week, I was gone to our United Methodist camp. It's called Sumatonga. It's in Alabama. I went away for a week of spiritual retreat, but not just me. There's 60-plus people that are participating in this experience. And the amazing thing to me is the average age is over 60, probably quite a bit over 60, most of the people there are older than I am, and yet none of them are ready to quit growing. All of them have made this two-year commitment to read books and then to gather once every quarter to listen to lectures, to have discussions, to pray and worship together so that they can continue to grow in faith and grow in love. It's amazing to see the commitment of most of these people who are lifelong Christians, about half of them pastors, many of them retired, and yet they're still seeking a way to grow into the image of Christ evermore. They're wanting to go deeper into their relationship of love with God. It's a remarkable thing. I, I love seeing the growth, but not everyone remembers that. Not everyone feels that experience and it's not that you have to sign up for this particular experience but it is valuable for us to look at our own lives and ask ourselves what am i doing to stimulate my own growth in christ at this point at this place in my life am i seeking those opportunities for god to grow in me for me to experience the love of god so that i can share it with others one of the exercises out of one of the devotional books I've been using uh, led me in experience to write a breath prayer. Have you ever heard of a breath prayer? A breath prayer is a very short prayer of usually no more than eight syllables. The idea is that you can say it in one breath. And that when you're praying for a longer period of time, that it will help you stay focused on the prayer, on listening for God can also help you as you go through your day to utter that prayer to yourself or to stop at certain times during the day and say that prayer again to kind of bring you back 
to the center of life with God. It gave you some ways to think about your own life and then write out your own prayer. Mine just came out, Lord, I need your love. Lord, I need your love. So I've been using that for the last several weeks. And the remarkable thing is I was born and baptized into the church. I've been a Christian. I've been a pastor for decades. And yet this experience at the academy using something like this simple tool of the breath prayer is leading me into a deeper experience of the love of God alive in my life and of my desire to share that love with others. It's a renewing and refreshing experience. The depth of love can grow in your relationship with God through Christ over a lifetime. It's not something that happens once or every once in a while. The idea is that we grow in our relationship of love with God through Christ throughout our lives. And sometimes we need different things to spur it along at different points in our journey, new experiences, maybe a different kind of commitment. But the idea that we can grow in love with God was very much a part of the teaching of John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, and really one of the distinctive things that Methodists offer to the rest of the Christian world is to remind them that God is at work in our lives so that we might grow in love Throughout our lives. How are you doing in terms of your own Christian walk in this relationship of love? Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Have you ever thought it might be important to say to Jesus, I love you? To renew that commitment, to verbalize that relationship? When he asked him, of course, Peter says, well, of course I love you. You know everything, Lord. You know I love you. But apparently it's important every once in a while for us to say it out loud or say it in a prayer form. Oh, yes, I love you. To reaffirm, reaffirm that can really be important. Say, oh, yes, I love you, Lord. And the interesting thing to me in all of this is that Jesus continues to appear to Peter and to these disciples and to others, the New Testament tells us. Not just so that they can have an ecstatic experience, an overwhelming experience of joy or love or amazement that God has raised him from the dead, but to draw them into the Christian life. No spectators here. Jesus is calling them into a certain kind of life. We are invited, just like those first disciples, we are invited, you might even say chosen, to be participants. To be participants with Christ. To proclaim God's mighty love alive in the world. See, Jesus Tells them how to fish, but he also offers them fish. But he also asks them to feed others, doesn't he? He feeds them and asks them to feed others. 
He asked them to declare their love, and then he asked them to share that love with others. And then our passage ends in verse 19 with that gospel theme, follow me, follow me, Jesus says. If you love me, follow me. Are you ready to follow? Are you ready for more love in your life? Richard of Chichester, back in the 13th century, wrote one of my favorite prayers. I put it in the outline. It summarizes this. He says, three things I pray, to know thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, and to follow thee more nearly. It's a theme that runs throughout these resurrection appearances of which we've been speaking these last several weeks since Easter. Follow me. If you love me, follow me me so now we want to put this growth into action i want us to go and share this love with others we've been talking about signs of growth now for um five weeks since easter so i've prepared something for you to pick up on your way out there's baskets outside the sanctuary in the library at the information desk and there's seeds in these packets I'm hoping you'll take some and plant them where you live and they might remind you about growing in Christ, growing in faith, growing in love. But these are not just any seeds. These, these packets have been prepared especially for Boston Avenue. So they're filled with Coryopsis seeds. You remember that, Coryopsis? Remember Ada Robinson, designer of our building, used a couple of different flowers in the design. One was the Coryopsis. If you look in the sanctuary windows, you'll see the circles running down the sides of the windows. Those are stylized Coryopsis blooms. Or the dome, it's a stylized Coryopsis bloom. You can even see it up in the sides of the mosaic behind me on each side. The circles are stylized Coryopsis blooms. And you remember why she chose Coryopsis? She said it's such a hardy flower. It can grow and actually thrive in all kinds of conditions. So it reminds us of the joy and the strength and the hardiness of faith. I want you to take these with you to remind you of your growth. But we have produced a, enough that you can take one to a friend. So I want you to take one or more to give to friends and neighbors. Because Jesus feeds the disciples but also sends them to feed others, to share with others. Let's be those Easter people that share God's love with others. Amen.